Shalom and welcome to Shomer Mitzvot, Torah Observant, a series on practical messianic living and apologetics. I'm the author, Torah teacher Ariel ben Lyman Hanavi. Torah observance is a matter of the heart. It always has been and always will be. The Torah proper instructed the people of Israel to love Adonai your God with all your heart, with all your being, and with all your resources. This is where Shomer Mitzvot begins, by loving Hashem and accepting Him on His terms. By this, I mean accepting His means of covenant obedience. For today, this means acceptance of Yeshua, His only Son, for Jew and non-Jew alike. Shalom, shalom. My name is Ariel ben Lyman Hanavi. You're listening to Exegeting Galatians, a Messianic Jewish commentary. Let's open with prayer. Avinu Malkeinu, our Father, our King, Lord, we're grateful that we're able to come together and sit and study your words afresh once more. We thank you, Holy Spirit, for sending uh, the words of Yeshua into our hearts, causing us to cry, Abba, Father. We thank you that you have caused us to be raised up as sons and daughters of the living God. Lord, we thank you that we take this responsibility um, very seriously. We know that uh, you are uh, equipping us as a people of God, that you're causing us to know your truth, and that you're you're filling us with your goodness and your mercy, and um, allowing us to be lights and salt, to be witnesses in this very dark world. Help us to be bold as we uh, share the gospel with those around us. Help us um, to um, not shrink back from uh, the promises and the power that's available to us through your written word, Lord, and through the power of the Spirit. And because of this, we can proclaim that Jesus is Lord. Thank you for the study to the book of Galatians. I bless uh, each and every student that's joined me tonight. I pray that you will give them a capacity to um, a, a greater capacity to um, comprehend and to retain things that are being taught. Uh, I ask that you'll give me clarity of thought as I rehearse uh, the things that I've, uh, or go over the things that I've studied this week and prepared to share with the students. Uh, bless us tonight, Lord, and we'll be careful to give you the praise in all of these things. B'Shem Yeshua M'Shechenu. Amen. Okay, well, let's uh, date stamp this recording tonight. Uh, is, um, oh, let's see, today is Ju July 29th, 2016, and uh, we're just plugging through the book of Galatians. Actually, we're, we're not really in the book of Galatians yet. We're actually going through the uh, commentary that I put together, which is available online at my website, www.graftedin, I'm sorry, www.tetzetorah.com, that's T-E-T-Z-E, uh, T O R A H, and um, uh, if you want to uh, uh, access the study, you can um, click on the Galatians commentary link, and you'll be able to find the notes there. Also, what I do is I record each session each week. If you're not able to join me live, and um, I post the audio commentaries up to iTunes, so you don't really even have to have iTunes to to listen to them. Just you can. Uh, grab them from my website, and if not, um, 
head on out to iTunes and uh, search for my name, Hanavi, H-A-N-A-V-I-Y, or I think you can search Galatians and find the podcast there. Uh, each recording is uploaded. So we'll only be with you for an hour, and then um, uh, for those of you who are in the live class, uh, you'll stay tuned because we'll uh, engage in about 15 minutes of uh, Q&A with the teacher or with each other. In fact, we've switched over to Skype, and uh, for that reason, those of you who have microphones, either on your computer or on your audio device, uh, I'll allow you to turn on your microphone during that QA time, and we can dialogue in, in audio rather than having to, to uh, type your questions and answers over the screen, okay? How's that? All right, um, let's engage in a little bit of liturgy before we jump into the study. For those of you who are in the live study, you'll see that I've got the... Um, You'll see that I've got the uh, uh, screen pulled up in front of you, and what you want to do is uh, go ahead and follow along with me. I'm going to read a passage out of the um, ESV, and this is Ezekiel 36, and this is the passage that I've been using for our liturgy. It's um, wonderful passages that really speak about the promises of the new covenant made with Israel, and we're familiar with the language that we read about in Jeremiah 31, 31, but this is the same promise, the same uh, um, truths that are being presented to Israel, and the same prophecy, as it were, that she can lay hold of by faith. And what is that promise? That God is going to uh, reverse the exile one day. He's going to bring Israel back out of captivity and bring her back into her own land. But there's a little bit more going on in, this, in the, in the uh, passage that I want you to watch for. God is not just going to um, take slaves and bring them back into the land and, and pl replant them as slaves. In the passage, he's going to begin to unfold before their very eyes a truth that they never really could have comprehended. And that is, he's going to begin to uh, replace the heart of stone that was within them corporately and give them a heart of flesh. He's going to uh, cleanse them. He's going to put a new spirit within them. Now, of course, we know from a corporate perspective, national Israel still awaits these promises by and large, even though this, the, the, the exile has already been reversed uh, you know, thousands of years ago. Um, yet, still, Israel has been promised that one day she will receive a new heart. We see this um, happening on a remnant level for each and every individual Israelite who places their genuine faith in God via the name of Yeshua, his son. Then we see the promise of the new covenant spring to life within them. However, national Israel has also been given these promises. These weren't made, just made to individual Israelites. These were made to national. I'm sorry, these weren't made just to, uh, yes, just to individuals. It was made to a group. And the thing I want to highlight as we're reading through the liturgy the thing I want to jump off the page for you, is the fact that the result of the new covenant, the result of, of being uh, cleansed and given a new spirit and a new heart and things like that, is that the people of God will for the first time be able to actually fulfill the Torah. They will be able to walk into his ways and uh, as the uh, uh, um, prophet uh, states it, uh, walk in my statutes, speaking of God's statutes, and be careful to obey my rules. And so, the challenge I'm presenting to tr the traditional Christian church, who teaches that the law has been relaxed once you become a believer in Jesus, doesn't seem to 
agree with the overall thrust of this promise of the new covenant. In fact, it's quite the opposite. According to these promises, once a believer, once a, an Israelite comes to genuine faith in Messiah, faith in God, viz, uh, genuine faith in Messiah, then his Torah observance, his obedience to God's ways actually strengthens. It becomes genuine, becomes a possibility, becomes a reality. And so we shouldn't look to the New Testament only for supposed abrogation of Torah observance. In fact, that's, that's a misnomer. It's wrong-headed. In fact, we should be looking to the scriptures of Israel that were given to Israel long before the apostolic scriptures were penned. We should notice and take our theology from the scriptures that Israel has been holding on to for thousands of years because they will undergird the truths of the New Testament and they will form the theology that the New Testament uh, would uh, finally reveal to us uh, wide open, with eyes wide open by the uh, Holy Spirit. So, let's read the passage and I want you to watch for that as you're listening to this. Okay, I'll just read it. You don't even have to turn to it. Just follow along. Ezekiel 36, starting verse 22, we'll read down through verse 28 reads, quote, Therefore say to the house of Israel, thus says the Lord God, It is not for your sake, O house of Israel, that I am about to act, but for the sake of my holy name, which you have profaned among the nations to which you came. And I will vindicate the holiness of my great name, which has been profaned among the nations, and which you have profaned among them. And the nations will know that I am the Lord, declares the Lord God, when through you... I vindicate my holiness before their eyes. Now look at verse 24. This this starts these these uh, wonderful promises that God gives to him. I will take you from the nations and gather you from all the countries and bring you into your own land. Right? Israel has been displaced. Now they're going to be returned. Verse 25, And I will sprinkle clean water on you, and you shall be clean from all your uncleanness, and from all your idols I will cleanse you. Wow. Baruch Hashem. Verse 26, and I will give you a new heart and a new spirit, and I will put within you. I'm sorry, let's read that verse again. And I will give you a new heart and a new spirit I will put within you. That is new covenant language right there, people. That's the promise of the New Testament. And I will remove the heart of stone from your flesh and give you a heart of flesh. That is new covenant uh, promises. Those are, those are relationship words. Those are covenant words. That's God speaking to Israel to bring them back unto himself in a way that was never before imagined. This is, of course, in agreement with uh, the Ezekiel, I'm sorry, the uh, Jeremiah 31, 31, New Covenant passage. Look at verse 27. And I will put my spirit within you and cause you to walk in my statutes and be careful to obey my rules. Sounds plainly understood. There's no way to really misunderstand that. God puts his spirit within the Israelites, and they, in turn, walk in his statutes uh, his his huchot, and his uh, they're careful to obey his judge his rules or careful to obey his mishpatim to actually do them. We're going to see in the Hebrew here that the, uh, it's quite um, emphatic. Mishpatai tishmuru vasitem, and then the, finally uh, verse twenty eight reads, "And you shall dwell in the land that I gave to your fathers, and you shall be my people, and I will be your God." So. Um, Let's go back and read the Hebrew of that same passage. For those of you who are in the class, you'll see that I've got some Hebrew right down the middle in the column there. And then for those of you who can't read Hebrew, I put some transliteration, my own transliteration, off to the right side so that you can try and kind of approximate what's going on in Hebrew. Let's read verse 22. Verse 22. 
Kiim Lashem, Kiim Lashem Khadshi, Asher Khalaltem Bagoim, Asher Batem Sham. Verse 23. et Shmi Hagadol, yes, Shmi Hagadol, Ham Khalal Bagoim, Asher Khalaltem, Batocham. Vayadu Hagoim, Kiani and Uma Donai Hashem, Bahikadshi Vachem Leinehim. Verse uh, 24. These are where God starts starts to uh, get personally involved uh, in a rather dramatic way. And I will take you from the nation. And I will gather you from all the countries. Um, and I will bring you into your own land, literally, uh, uh into your own Admachem, El Admatchem, into your own dirt. Taken from the root word Adam, which means basically dirt, the stuff that Adam was created from. In fact, Adam's name uh, is, is basically dirt. Uh, verse 25. <laughs> God sprinkling them and cleansing them from all their idols and uncleanliness. And then look at verse 26. God putting his spirit, a new spirit, um, a, 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 a new spirit within them, giving them a new heart, a lev chadash. These are promises that are only actualized by the New Covenant. Therefore, we know that this is language that speaks of God bringing Israel into a salvation relationship with them, a genuine saving relationship with them through His Son, Yeshua. And then uh, verse 27, uh, God putting His Spirit within you, and look at the results of Asiti eight Asher Bahukai, causing you to walk in my statutes, Bahukai Telehu, doing his commandments, doing his um his hukot, his his judgments and statutes. And uh the verse goes on to say, Umishpatai Tishmaru Vasitem, careful to obey Tishmaru Mishpatai, his Mishpat, his his rulings, and Vasitim and doing them. Careful to do and obey, and then the final verse, va shavtem dwelling in the land, asher which natati I gave lavotechem to your fathers, the avut, the unto them, li laam to become a people of anuchi for me, for me, and I will be your God, anuchi, and I will be lachem unto them, le elohim your God. What do you think about that passage? If you were an Israelite and you heard these words spoken by the prophet, would you not rejoice? Would you not take these promises to heart? Would you not look forward to this day? And yet, 2,000 years later, the traditional Christian church comes along and says, we're sorry, Israel. These promises have failed. God has rescued you from your enemies, brought you into your own land, but I'm sorry, through his son Messiah, he has abolished the Torah. 
Therefore, you can no longer look forward to being filled with the Spirit and cause and walking in His statutes and, and obeying His rules. The message that we're hearing from this traditional Christian church is a bit confusing. It is true that God fills us with His Spirit. It is true that God puts a new heart within us and, and a new spirit and removes the heart of stone from our flesh and gives us a heart of flesh. This is true for anyone who names the name of Yeshua. But it is also equally true because the, the verse doesn't give us license to pick and choose what is the result and what is the, um, uh, the, the fulfillment and the filling and the, the, the um, outworking of the promise given to us here in this passage. The verse tells us that we will walk into his statutes and be careful to obey his rules. And so please don't turn away from Torah observance. As a believer, you should be running into it. Why? Because God has empowered you to do so. Let's turn now to the familiar passage that I've chosen for our liturgy from the book of Galatians, chapter 5, verse 1. I'm using this passage for this section because of its familiarity to Christians, particularly verse, um, uh, I think it's verse 4. Uh, is it verse 4, the one? I, no, maybe it's verse 3, where it talks about it being a debtor to do the whole law. These are passages... Um, that are so familiar that um, I don't really need need to teach on them. It's it's quite uh, often taught that in Christ uh, the law is done away with. He fulfilled it, so we don't have to do it anymore. We don't have to concern ourselves with Sabbath, kosher, festivals, and the like. And yet, if we're to take the words of Ezekiel seriously, then that cannot be the case. It cannot be the case. So let's read through Galatians five one, and um, I'm supposed to read it in, in the uh, ESV but I don't seem to have it pulled up in front of me. Instead, what I'll do is I'll, I'll read kind of a wooden version that I've got, because I've got an interlinear version pulled up in front of me. So I'll read the kind of the wooden version, kind of almost a literal, what I mean by wooden, kind of where the English word uh, is in the same syntax, the same word order as the Greek. We'll read that, and then I'll go back and read the Greek for you. So the English reads, again, this is no true version, so just uh, follow along, listen up. In freedom... We in Christ have been set free. Stand firm, therefore, and not again in a yoke of slavery. Entangle yourselves. Behold, I, Paul, say to you that if you shall become circumcised, Christ for you, nothing will profit. I testify, moreover, again to every man being circumcised, that a debtor he is, a debtor he is for all the law to keep. You are severed from Christ, whoever in law are being justified. From grace you have fallen away. I like how uh, verse 4 is rendered uh, kind of woodly because it, it's following the, the word order of the Greek. And then verse 5, We indeed through the Spirit by faith the hope of righteousness eagerly await. And then verse 6, In indeed Christ Jesus neither circumcision any has power nor uncircumcision but only faith through love working. Okay, let's go back and just read the Greek of that and uh, that'll form the liturgy for us tonight. The, the Greek of uh, the same verses reads, Te eleutheria hemos Christos eleutherosin. Eleutherosin. Stekete un, kai me palen zugo duleas in a kesta. Ide, ide ego palas legu human hati in peritum nesta. Christos humas uden, o fe ophalese. And let's drop down to verse 3. Marturumai de palen panti anthropo, peratem nomino, hati o felates, estin holland ton nomen poesai. 
and verse 4, Katergeta, Apocristu hoitenis en namo decaeuste, teis charitas, charitas exabasate. And the final verse, uh, I'm sorry, verse 5, Hemes garp numati ek pistios elpida decaeusunes apectecumitha. And the final verse, verse 6, is Engar Christo Yesu ute bertume, pertume, tis qe ute acrobustia, Allah pistis di agapes in ergumene. And you heard that word agapes, uh, it's, the, it's the familiar word agape that we uh, hear about in Christianity so often agape, love, faith working through love, pistis di agapes in, er, in ergumene. All right, let's turn to our study. We're in the Galatians commentary, um, and we're just going to uh, plug along through the commentary. Again, as I mentioned, we're we're not really in a rush to get through the notes. We're just taking it chapter by chapter as I've written it, paragraph by paragraph, really. So um, if you've got the written notes uh, before you, I've been following the the the, um, the commentary from the. Uh, about the 180-page version of the document that you can get on my website. And we're down in Section 8, topic number 8, entitled Shomer Mitzvot, which is Torah Observant. And we are near the top of page 64. We just we left off last week reading through two passages from the Tanakh and then two passages from the Apostolic Scriptures. In other words, two passages from the entire Bible broken down in, into the Torah the first five books of Moses, the Nevi'im, which is known as the prophets, and then the Ketuvim are the writings, you know, Psalms, Proverbs, things like that. And then we also pull two from what Christians identify as New Testament, which I call the apostolic writings. So basically a, a twofold witness from each section of the Bible. And that's what we did last week. And so as we pick up the reading this week, uh, I'm going to read that um, the, the last two uh, passages that I read out of the New Covenant of the Apostolic Scriptures. I'll read those two again. Uh, one was from Romans and the other one was from Timothy. The one from Romans reads, So the Torah is holy, that is, the commandment is holy, just, and good. That's, of course, Romans 7.12. And my comment is that if Paul were speaking negatively about the law of God, if he had nothing but, but bad to say about the Torah for Christians... Why would he call it holy, just, and good? Why would he call the commandment holy, just, and good? How can it be holy, just, and good, and yet be done away with, is the challenge I bring to the table. And then also, in Second Timothy three fourteen through 17 the familiar passage reads, But you, this is Paul speaking to Timothy, continue in what you've learned and have become convinced of, recalling the people from whom you learned it, and recalling, too, how from childhood you have known the Holy Scriptures, which can give you the wisdom that leads to deliverance through trusting in Yeshua the Messiah. All Scripture, this is the part that's very familiar to most Christians, all Scriptures God-breathed. If all Scriptures God-breathed, would that not include the Tanakh? Would that not include the Torah? Would that not include the writings, the the the, the um the, the prophets and the writings, all of what, what we call in Christianity the Old Testament. This is the scripture that Paul is confessing is God-breathed, and what else? Valuable for teaching the truth. Valuable for teaching the truth. If it's valuable for teaching the truth, then why would, need, would it need to be uplifted in Messiah? But it goes on. It's, it is um, valuable for convicting of sin, for correcting faults, for training in right living. Thus, anyone who belongs to God may be fully equipped for every good work. So it sounds to me like Paul is not telling Timothy 
to leave the Torah behind in favor of some some scriptures that have replaced it, to leave the Tanakh on the shelf where it can collect dust. On the contrary, Paul is admonishing Timothy, and indeed this carries over to us because we are now the recipients of this letter as well. Paul is teaching us that all scripture, which would include Torah, which would include the Sabbaths, the dietary laws, the, the ceremonial laws, because Paul doesn't say all of the moral parts of the scripture are God-breathed and valuable for teaching. All of only the moral parts will convict you of sin, correcting faults. If he says all scripture, then he must not have thought about this three-part breakdown of ceremonial, civil, and moral, etc., etc., as if that were something that were in his mind. We don't see that in the passage. We see Paul simply saying all scripture is God-breathed, and all scripture is valuable for teaching the truth. All scripture is valuable for, uh, all scripture will convict of sin, correct your faults, and train you in right living. And thus, anyone, speaking of believers, who belongs to God may be fully equipped for every good work. So we need the scriptures. We need the Torah if we are to be fully equipped for every good work. Don't think the law has been done away with. I don't think it's been done away with. So let's keep talking about this idea of Torah observance. This uh, presentation that I've given to you here in my commentary where I get, pulled out two passages from each section, it's, I admit it's a limited presentation of select Bible passages. But it, you have to admit that it clearly enjoins ongoing, ongoing covenant faithfulness and loyalty to Hashem upon any and all who wish to be counted among the members of God's family called Israel. Right? The scriptures of Israel belong to Israelites. But who are the Israelites? Anyone who names the name of, of God through his son Yeshua. Meaning, all genuine Christians are Israelites. Not those who are Christians in name only, but those who really have been set free by the power of the risen Messiah. You are an Israelite. You've been brought into the covenant with Israel. You've been brought into the people, or as Paul says in Ephesians, you've joined the commonwealth of Israel. Let's keep reading. Christians may not choose to identify the life they lead as Torah observance, right? Most Christians don't call what they're doing Torah observance. But I go on to say that, make no mistake, it is in fact in keeping with the law of God, the Torah of Moshe, to espouse genuine faith in the Messiah, Yeshua, and to pattern one's life after the life that he lived. If you live like Christ, which is what the word Christian means, right? If you live like Christ, then you're living as a Torah observant person whether you call it or not, whether you recognize it or not. If you're following Christ with your heart, soul, and mind by the power of the Spirit, then you're following after Torah. That's what I'm trying to tell you. So don't say that you don't have to follow Torah, because by believing in Yeshua, you're already espousing uh, obedience to Torah. And uh, it's just a natural step to walk in line with the um, lifestyle that Yeshua led, which was, of course, Torah observant. In this way, I go on to say, whether one is Jewish or not, or whether or not a Christian embraces what he calls the so-called ceremonial and civil parts of the Torah or not, um, that becomes an issue related to ongoing sanctification due to the biblical reality that faith working through love, which we know is something that Christians are engaged in, faith working through love, which we read about in Galatians 5-6. This is also, in point of fact, Shomer Mitzvot. That's how Orthodox Jews call it. Torah observant, shomer mitzvot, Torah observant. Faith working through love is Torah observance. That's what I'm trying to say. So let's talk about this notion of shomer mitzvot. This next uh, few paragraphs actually are lifted from the commentary that I have on my website called 
Shomer Mitzvot. I just pulled the same material into this Galatians study. So let's talk about Torah observance for a moment. All right, Shomer Mitzvot. The Hebrew word Shomer means keeper of. It's actually a participle in Hebrew, even though we don't really have participles. But when we want to cheat and use, describe the kind of the ongoing verb, uh, put it into, make it an action that is um, not static, but something that uh, happens daily, then we add the uh, suffix air. And so shamar becomes shomer, the O-A sound in the vowels. Shomer, uh, O-A, becomes keeper of or keeping. So to be observant. In the call stem, which is uh, the root stem that verbs are presented in, at least in the Hebrew, the call stem, the root or shamar, suggests the idea of safeguarding. That's according to the... Um, According to the Brown Driver Briggs um, uh, Gesenius lexicon, you'll see footnote number 50 there. And so I'm pulling my definitions from the BDB here just so that we can kind of get a running start on, on verbiage. All right. So um, uh, let me go back up here. Shomer or Shamar itself isn't really doing so much as it is safeguarding, keeping. It's a it's an action, but it's a, it's a type of action that kind of starts with a, a commitment to something, right? If you're going to safeguard something, you're going to regard it as precious. You're going to um, consider it worth guarding. You're going to consider it as... You don't guard something that's that's worthless, right? I, I've got garbage that gets taken out on a daily basis or whatnot. I, I don't really guard my garbage. Why? Because it's not precious to me. I don't really care if someone breaks in my house and steals my garbage. I'm not safeguarding my garbage, However, I do have other valuables in my home that I don't want people taking from me. And therefore, I safeguard those things that are valuable to me. You understand my point? So, shamar means to safeguard. So, that's the first part of our, of our term, shomer mitzvot, safeguarding. The Hebrew word mitzvot, in our phrase shomer mitzvot, is the plural form of the word mitzvah. You've heard of bar mitzvah, son of the commandment, right? Bar mitzvah, or um, you know, just do the mitzvah. The mitzvah in Hebrew is a command. Thus, when we say bar mitzvah, we mean son of the command or commandment. You know, the mitzvot, plural, commandments. The OT sound on the end of mitzvah. You know, mitzvah becomes mitzvot. The OT sound, the ot sound, brings it into a plural. Thus, because it's a, it's a um, feminine word, plural, mitzvah, plural, feminine. Thus, shomer mitzvot, when we put the two words back together, shomer mitzvot means keeper of the commands. Or more generically, if we smooth it out a little bit, we can just say it means Torah observant, right? A person who is a keeper of the commandments or a keeper of the commands is someone who is Torah observant. So, let's keep going. Many believers, many believers, specifically Jewish believers without a formal background in Judaism, and some Gentile ones who wish to identify with the scriptures of Israel, these people end up having questions about what it means to be Torah observant. I get these questions all the time. I've been teaching this material for, oh, going on 20 years long, twenty years or longer. And in that time, I've uh, received and dialogued with people from all walks, all backgrounds, Jews, Gentiles, Christians, uh, non-believers, uh, unbelieving Jews, secular Jews, religious Jews, um, mystic Jews, uh, you know, nominal Christians, Christians from cults, 
uh, uh, you know, Jehovah's Witnesses and Mormons and and anyone who names the name of Christ of Christ. I've I've dialogued with lots of these people. I'm sure you have the same experience as me, because you meet them, right? They come to your door, or you meet them in church, or you meet them on the streets, or your friends or family members are involved in uh, other religions that are different from your own, and lots of questions get thrown around. And I found that lots of people have questions about what it means to be Torah observant. I don't have all the answers, but what I do know is this, and this is what I will say for my commentary. Pursuing the Torah as, a, as the master Yeshua HaMashiach modeled it for his followers, that's sometimes called halakha. Jesus Christ followed the Torah. And when we follow after him, then in essence we're following after his walk, after his example. We can't do exactly what he did. Contextually, he lived, in a, he lived in a time period different from ours, so we don't have to walk around in sandals and wear robes and um, uh, teach people from the shore standing in a boat. We don't have to um, attempt to walk on... Well, I was going to say you don't have to attempt to walk on water unless you've, unless you've really got the faith, brother. Go ahead, go for it. But you, you get the point I'm trying to make. We don't really have to recreate first century uh, Christian walk in order to be like Messiah, in order to imitate Christ. But the point I'm trying to highlight is that there's a Hebrew word that has already been designated to 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 um, indicate when one is trying to walk out the Torah. And we call this word halacha. And it comes from the Hebrew word halak, which is the word used for walking or to walk. So essentially, you'll hear this term halacha, or sometimes you might hear it pronounced as halacha, or in Jewish circles it's the halacha, You'll hear this term halacha used to indicate the the putting on of Torah observance, the, the walking out, the practical outworking of what it means to keep the Torah. So the words are given to us in the book, in the scriptures, they're written out for us, and then sometimes there's not a lot of specifics on how to um, engage them. I'll give you a perfect example. The Bible tells us to remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy, right? We read about that in the Ten Commandments in Exodus 20 and Deuteronomy chapter 5. But what does it mean to remember the Sabbath day and to keep it holy? There's a lot of ambiguity in remembering and keeping it holy. In other words, perhaps in your community, if you were growing up as a Jew, remembering it and keeping it holy might entail uh, ABC sets of rules. But if you grow up in a different community as a Jew or even as a Christian who's keeping the Sabbath, then remembering the Sabbath and keeping the holy might enjoin not ABC, but DEF. See my point? So the two communities might have some slight differences. Not They shouldn't be disagreements, but they are going to be differences in the practical outworking. That's what we call halakha. Halakha is, is, can, can sometimes be very um, personable. It can be very... Um, uh, uh, what's the word I want to use? Um, there's a fancy term I'm looking for that I, that's escaping me. But the, the the point I think that you're catching is that if we're going to walk as Jesus walked, then there's going to be a lot of um, there's going to be a lot of subjectivity, as it were, to it. There's going to be a lot of personalization. There's going to be a lot of of some of it um, looking one way for one group and some of it looking one way for a different group. But all of it is considered walking after the, the, the walk of the master, uh, particularly 
as we read through the New Testament and see how the Master walked. We, we read his words through the Gospels, right? And we study them intently, and we, we avail ourselves of the Holy Spirit who reminds us of the words of the Master. That's, that's a powerful truth that we should be um, uh, holding to with a, with a conviction. The, the Holy Spirit will convict us of sin, but he will also remind us of the words of Jesus. And so if you're not reading your Bible, if you're not studying the the, uh, the New Testament, if you're particularly ignoring the Gospels as a Christian, my goodness, why would you do that? But if you're not doing that, if you're not pressing in, then the Holy Spirit doesn't have any material to work from. You know what I mean? He's not going to um, superimpose the words into your brain if you haven't already availed yourself of them. He's not going to force himself into your head. At least I don't believe he is going to do so. Instead, as you study and go over the words, as you make it a habit and a point to discipline yourself by pressing in as often as you can, sometimes that's daily, sometimes that's hourly, sometimes that's weekly, whatever you and God have agreed to by way of a, of a schedule, then the Holy Spirit is going to then help you to remember and to engage the words and to recall the truths and to hold them down in your heart and to lock them down into your soul so that they become an anchor for your soul, right? The words of God are a sure anchor for our soul, especially in this topsy-turvy world uh, that we live in today. So let's keep reading my commentary. In Judaism, um, safeguarding and keeping the Torah this idea of Shomer Mitzvot, safeguarding and keeping. It's central to performing the will of Hashem. This is why it's so egregious for religious Jews to hear that the Torah has been done away with. When they hear this being taught from pulpits of Christian churches, the law has been done away with. The law is no longer precious is what that message sends to religious Jews. The law is no longer worth safeguarding. In Jesus, the law is basically discarded. It's put on the shelf it's replaced by a law of Christ, supposedly, so-called. And that's a shame because it's not accurate. It's not in line with what Ezekiel promised. Ezekiel didn't hint of God putting a spirit within them, causing them to turn away from the Torah, putting a spirit within them, uh, cleansing them, filling them, uh, replacing the heart of stone with the heart of flesh in order for them to walk into a different set of laws. That's not what Ezekiel taught. We need to line our theology from the New Testament up with the theology from the Old Testament because it's really the same theology. And Paul would had not have his followers imitating him as he imitates Christ to the tune of doing away with the Torah. Shomer Mitzot is an important concept in Judaism, and therefore it should be an important concept in Christianity because genuine Christianity is rooted in remnant Judaism, in root in remnant Israel in the biblical Judaism of, of Yeshua. So let's keep reading. Indeed, it's properly understood from God's point of view, the whole of Torah was given to bring its followers to the goal of acquiring the kind of faith in Hashem that leads to placing one's trusting faithfulness, that's a term borrowed from David Stern's translation of the Bible, to placing one's trusting faithfulness in the one and only Son of Hashem, which is Yeshua HaMashiach, right? If you were to look up, say, uh, Luke twenty four twenty seven as well as 24, 44 through 47, and correspond that with Romans 10, 4, which teaches that Christ is the goal of the law. I know most of your versions say Christ is the end of the law. But we must realize that the point of, uh, one of the central points of God giving 
the scriptures to Israel was so that she would seek and find his very son. Right? We know that the popular saying is that the Old Testament is Jesus concealed and the New Testament is Jesus revealed. Well, if that is true, that Jesus is concealed in the Old Testament, and then we turn and tell Jewish people that the law is done away with in Jesus, well, what does that do for those who haven't yet experienced the Jesus of the Scriptures? If we're telling them to throw away the Bible, the Bible that they're holding, which is the Tanakh, right? Many Jewish people don't, don't own a New Testament. Some do, but many don't. If we're telling them to throw out the Torah, the Tanakh, well, then how are they going to find the concealed Messiah? Right? If we uproot, the, uproot and rip out the signposts, how are you going to find your way to the place that you're trying to get to? You ever take a trip and you bring your map and as you're driving along the highway, you look for the road signs, you know, 25 miles to New York City as you're working your way from the west to the east. You know, 15 miles to New York City uh, or probably to New York border or something like that. You know, as you approach New York City, I'm just picking it, New York, since it's a well-known example, well-known city. As you're approaching it, the signs are going to start counting down the miles, right? 25 miles, 15 miles, 10 miles. This indicates that you're getting closer. Well, what would happen if once you arrived in New York City, you had someone from your family clan, uh, from your group, go back and uproot, lift up, uplift, destroy, um, bury, hide all those signposts that led you to the city, what would that do for the next person trying to find New York City? They wouldn't be able to find it because you ripped out the signposts. Because you assumed that once you arrived, the signposts were no longer needed. You understand my example here? If coming to Messiah means the abrogation of Torah, then essentially what we're describing is the abrogation of the signposts of that which points to him. That cannot be the case because not everyone has arrived yet. So that logic alone must disagree with the theology that teaches that the law is done away with now that we've arrived. How selfish, how selfish to teach that now that I've arrived, no one else needs the signposts. Please rethink your theology if that's what you've been taught, that the law has been done away with in Christ. Please reconsider. It doesn't give... Um, it really doesn't give away for unbelievers to find Jesus, especially if they're religious Jews who are only using the Tanakh to search for the Messiah. If you tell them that they no longer need the Tanakh, that the law has been ripped out, that they no longer need study the, the Torah of Moshe, well then how are they supposed to really find the Messiah who's so, who is so vividly portrayed in the pages of the Torah, particularly, say, the animal sacrifices, which you're going to read about in the book of Leviticus, which is part of the Torah, right? All right, enough of my rabbi trail. Let's go back to my commentary. To this end, I go on to say, speaking about God using the Torah to point to his son, to this end, the Torah has prophesied about him, which we know and affirm as believers. It's prophesied about him since as early as the book of Genesis, which is Genesis 3.15, I think is the first Messianic prophecy. And um, it spans all the way to uh, Revelation, say, 22, verse 20, at least in my estimation. So from book end to book end, Jesus is the goal. Yeshua is the aim. He is the telos, as we read about in the, the, uh, the um, Greek of Romans 10.4. He's the telos. He's the goal. He's the aim. He's the, the, um, he is the, uh, um, the destination of Torah observance. 
One does not pursue Torah observance in order to get rich. One does not pursue Shomer Mitzvot in order to be popular. The goal of God giving Israel the Torah was not to make her the best and strongest and mightiest nation on the earth. Far from it. God envisions that the Torah was given not only to sanctify his people, to set them apart from wickedness and from unholiness and from unrighteousness, and to help them to walk into a right lifestyle from a moral perspective, not only giving them the right thing to do, but giving them a righteousness that is practical. But there's another side of Torah that God envisions, and that is that by his spirit being writ by his spirit writing the words of of God on the heart of of a covenant member, this person would encounter the risen Yeshua, the risen Messiah, the prophesied Messiah. So to this end, uh, Messiah is the goal of the Torah. If we say that, that the Torah has been done away with, then we're really doing damage to the picture, to the goal that God has intended for his words. In this capacity, the Torah itself acts like its etymological counterpart, right? The etymology behind the word Torah itself is the root word yara, Y-A-R-A-H. And you can hear the similar sounding yara Torah, yara Torah, right? Yara Torah, yara Torah. And so what does this word yara mean? If you look at my footnote that I'm borrowing um, from uh, the BDB again. Yara is actually an archery term. You can look this up online. It's no secret. Yara is an archery term, and it it's used to describe um, sending an arrow down the intended path towards the intended target, right? You picture a person with a bow and arrow in his hand and a target down range, and as he centers himself and steadies himself, he picks the bow up and he loads an arrow into it and he pulls the pulls the string back and what does he do he aims at the target this concept of aiming and then releasing the arrow down the path that your arm is pointing towards which is of course towards the target that whole concept the verbs the actions uh, that are used that's that's yara right to shoot an arrow towards the intended destination that's the concept of Torah, which is rooted in this idea of God taking a person and sending them down the, in, the intended path of meeting the Messiah. To, to explain the, the, the metaphor that I'm using of the arrow, the arrow, the bow and arrow, the arrow is in fact a person, a covenant member. And God is the person who's steadying the bow by his, peer, by his power, by his spirit, and sending, when, he, when, when God's timing is perfect, God releases the arrow down the intended path called Torah, this invisible path that the arrow is going to travel as it's as it's flying towards the, uh, the 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 goal, the target on the other end. The point I'm trying to make is, what is the target on the other end? The target is Yeshua. The target is the teacher of righteousness that we read about in Galatians chapter four. The target is Yeshua the Messiah. He's the goal. He's the goal. So the Torah becomes a tool in the hands of the Holy Spirit to lead us to the, the teacher of righteousness. And so that's where we get this idea of yara. So the Torah teaches its adherence. I'm playing with the words there because the word Torah also means to teach. God's teaching. It's, it's sometimes woodenly called God's laws, but um, there are other Hebrew words for laws, for law. Um, but when we say that that the Torah is God's teaching. 
it kind of softens it up a bit. It sounds a bit more personal. It sounds like something we can grasp, something we can engage in, something we can participate in, something that's not just a, a, a wooden, uh, a cold set of do's and don'ts of rules that are on a page that are just there for for uh, um, for us to either uh, keep or break and with God waiting to thwack us on the head when we fail to keep them. People, that's not the picture that God intended to paint when he gave us his laws. The words of Torah as God's teaching are that the, his words are um, instruction. They are uh, admonition. They are a the loving words of a father to his children. They are words of encouragement. They are words of compassion. They are words of... Um, of their covenant words, their covenant words of relationship, right? The Torah is the words of God to us in a relationship, covenant relationship. So don't think the words of Torah are just wooden, cold do's and don'ts, you know, that God just said, here, do this, do this, do that, and if you don't do it, I'll, I'll punish you, waiting, waiting to bring the gavel down and pronounce you guilty. That's not how it's, it works. God gave us the Torah to properly identify with himself and to help us reach the mark. To be sure, one of the most common Hebrew words used to identify sin, chata, the verbs, the, 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 um, the, yeah, I think that's the verbal form there, chata, I think the noun would be chata'at. So one of the verbs used to identify sin as a verb literally means to miss the mark. When we sin, when we sin, and this is taken again from the BDB according to chata, if you look it up, when we sin, we miss the mark, keeping in line with this whole archery concept, right? When you go back, going back to that for a moment, when you shoot the arrow, if you miss the target on the other end, we would say that you sinned. You're thinking, what? Why is it a sin to miss the target? Don't get confused. I'm just talking about the words and the uh, the concepts that were borrowed from the Hebrew and carried over for us into English. At least they should have been. This whole Hebraic idea of shooting the arrow and, and hitting the, um, the goal on the other end, that is Torah, that's Yara. But if we shoot and we don't aim, or, we don't, or the arrow somehow doesn't, what we say, follow the intended path, remember there's kind of like an invisible path from the bow to the target on the other end. And if the arrow follows that path, that intended path, it's invisible to our eyes, but... The arrow knows it's there if it's if it's a good arrow, if it's a straight arrow, and if we aim, and if the target is not moving on the other end, well, then the arrow should hit. It should hit if we're careful. And that's why God wants us to be careful with keeping the commandments. That's why God brings up this idea of shomer, of keeping, of safeguarding. If one safeguards the arrow as it, as it, as it flies down towards the target, well, then it should hit, meaning making sure that there's no distractions like... Uh, crosswinds or uh, anything blocking the path of the arrow making its way down towards the target on the other end. Same concept as we carry that example over into real life. If we are careful to guard the words of God and to allow the Spirit of God to soften our heart as an unbeliever and allow the, the words to speak to us and to confess our sin and to turn away from sin, then God, for his part, will open up the pages of the Torah, open up the words of Scripture to us before our very eyes and reveal the Messiah. Amen. That's my that's my my um um that's my uh admonition to those of you who are Jewish tonight listening to my commentary and who don't yet know who Yeshua is. 
Keep pressing into the Torah. Keep pressing in. Keep reading. Keep studying. Keep searching for the Messiah. Keep searching for God's presence. Keep expecting God to open your eyes and to show you the Messiah. Confess your sin. Surrender to the voice of God. Yield to His leading. Give in and you will know what it's like to experience genuine salvation. If you confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you shall be saved. This is what uh, Paul tells us, teaches us in Romans 10. Uh, I think it's around verses 9 and 10. Right? For whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. Amen. Amen. So, don't we don't need to uproot Torah in order to find Messiah. We need to actually press into Torah because that's the goal of the Torah is to show us Messiah. To be sure, again, one of the most common Hebrew words to identify sin or to identify missing the mark is chata, which means to miss the mark, right? What mark are we talking about? The mark of finding Yeshua. The mark of finding Yeshua. As I go on to say in my commentary, and we're just about bringing this to a close because this, con this section is not very long. Um, you know what I think I'll do? I don't think I want to rush it. I, I do think I'm going to slow down a little bit and keep reading. Uh, I might find a way, a, a point to uh, uh, cut it off and continue next week. But um, let me let me see if this is a place where I want to stop. I think I do. I think I'm going to stop here. We so we're, let's 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 just kind of recap what we talked about. Um, we we talked about this idea of um, that. Uh, Torah observers, we didn't get very far in the notes, but that's fine. Again, I'm not rushing things, so I hope you don't are not disappointed. What, what we did is we we introduced this idea of Shomer Mitzvot, and we 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 uh, found out that the word Shomer itself is related to safeguarding. It's related to keeping that which is important to us, making it precious, making it important, making a point to uh, have it. Uh, worth guarding, worth keeping, worth safeguarding, right? Remember I gave the little example of garbage versus, uh, say, valuables, right? No one guards garbage, per se. We don't, you don't care if a thief breaks in your house and steals your garbage. Heck, they're doing you a favor by taking out the trash, right? But if they break in your house and steal your valuables, such as, say, your children, God forbid, you know, that's valuable to you, or they, they take something um, material, you know, like your your jewelry or your computers or... Uh, I don't know, your your credit cards or something like that, your money out of your wallet. These are things that are generally uh, um, considered precious and they're worth safeguarding. They're worth um, hiding away. In some, type, in some cases, some people have safes in their home. And what, what do you put in a safe? Everyone knows the answer. You don't put your garbage in your safe. Quite the opposite. You put that which is precious. Well, God is telling us that the Torah itself should be that which is kept locked up in a safe place. Where is that safe place? It's in our heart. It's in our heart. It's in our mind. It's what the Shema teaches us. Hear, O Israel, the Lord of God, the Lord is one. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your might. Right? That's mess that message is a message of safeguarding. Safeguarding. And these words which I'm commanding you today, the verse goes on to say, these words which I'm commanding you today shall be upon your heart, right? That's to, that's what it means to safeguard the words of God. So far from doing away with the words of God, once we come to a genuine relationship with God through His Son Yeshua, we should in fact strengthen and continue to take to heart. In fact, now that God writes, now that God gives us a new spirit and takes out the heart of stone, 
the Jeremiah passage tells us that God actually writes the words of God on our heart. Amen. What a wonderful truth. God doesn't take the words and remove them from us. He does the opposite. By the power of his spirit, as we place our faith in Yeshua, the words of God get written on our heart. Therefore, we can safeguard them. That's why Paul can say in Romans chapter 8 that um, we can fulfill the righteous requirement of the Torah because we have been filled with the Spirit of God and we have confessed our sins and we've been cleansed of unrighteousness. Amen. That's a good place to say amen. So we talked about that idea. We also talked about the concept of um, a walking in the footsteps of Messiah is this idea of halacha, halach, coming from the, the, the word for halach, which is uh, the word for walk, which is halach, gives us this concept of halacha. And halacha is when we... We attempt to obey God's words, and sometimes our obedience differs from another person's obedience. That's okay. It's okay. Sometimes it's going to look a little different. How I personalize Torah observance is going to look a little different than how you personalize Torah observance. But the, the, the thing is that our, our different observances, our different expressions, our outward examples of being obedient to the words of God shouldn't contradict one another. They should actually complement so we, what we end up with is what that popular phrase, we have diversity within unity. Diversity within unity. We're not all supposed to look alike. It's not cookie cutters, um, cookie cutter Christianity. We don't all look the same. It's not like the old uh, Dr. Seuss book with the uh, star-bellied sneeches where they all wanted to go through this. There's these creatures called sneeches that uh, some had stars on their bellies and some didn't. Um, and they all wanted to be the same. They they walked through this little machine, and if they didn't have a star on their belly, they went through this machine, and out they came to the other side. They had a star stamped on them, kind of like a tattoo or something like to that effect. And uh, it it got ridiculous because those without stars wanted to be like the ones with stars, so they ran through the machine and got stars. But then the ones who came out the other end looked at those who didn't have stars, and so they ran through the machine again, and the star was removed or something to that effect. And the point is, these silly sneeches all wanted to be like one another. They thought it was vogue to to either have a star or to not have a star, and they 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 focused all their energy on trying to be the same, to be alike. <laughs> it's a very silly example. I'm sorry, it just just popped in my head from childhood. I I I, I think if I'm getting the story right, the star-bellied sneeches. They're not real creatures. Don't worry. In case you're wondering, you can do do a Google search for that. S n e e c h. I think sneech. So uh, the point I'm trying to make is. All of our Torah observance is not really designed to look identical. I understand there's going to be some similarities, but there is room for personalization and individuality. And so don't be concerned. Don't concern yourself too much if the way you keep Sabbath differs slightly from the way your fellow Christian in another community keeps Sabbath. God is going to give you what you need to know. And so just continue to press him and have press in and form a, a right relationship with him, an ongoing viable, living relationship with him uh, via his son Yeshua and let the Spirit of God and the leaders that are in your community form the halakha that you need. All right? And I think you'll be safe. And then lastly, in this uh, study tonight, we talked about this idea of um, that Torah itself is, uh, uh, the word Torah itself stems from a, a word in, in Judaism that is an archery term. And it helps us to understand that that God's intended purpose for the Torah ultimately finds its its fullness, its completion, once the person graduates to faith in Jesus, once the person uh, accepts 
Yeshua as their Messiah, once the person surrenders to the power of God, allows God to cleanse them of sin, fill them with his spirit, and to set them on the rock called Messiah. That's the goal of Torah. That's the goal of Torah. And we use this example of an archer sending an arrow down the path, the intended path of hitting the mark on the other end, which is the the bolt, the, uh, the, the target on the other end is the Messiah. And the arrow is designed by the archer to uh, travel down the path to the Messiah, or in this case, to the target. And if the arrow strays, if the arrow hits a crosswind, or uh, if the um, archer doesn't um, carefully aim, or if the archer doesn't uh, 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 breathe, control his breathing, or if his footing is unsure, or if his bow is unsteady, or if his string breaks, God forbid, all of these things would probably prevent the arrow from traveling down the intended path to strike the target. Right? Makes sense? Well, that notion of missing the target, right, missing the mark, is chata. That's the verb used to describe sin in the Bible. When we sin, we miss the mark. We literally miss the mark. Because the mark that God intends for us is righteousness. Righteousness. And when we sin, it's to say that we're falling short of the mark of righteousness. We are not walking in the intended path that God has for us. So, that's what we learned today. So I hope that those uh, this teaching has gone a long way to help us towards um, reclaiming for ourselves as Christians this idea of Torah observance. My my teachings are designed to be practical. I'm not just trying to be theological and, 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 and uh, uh, just uh, really teach concepts. I, I want prag... I want... I have really kind of a pragmatic approach. You know, if if the Torah says do it, and we can do it by the power of God, then let's do it. Let's do it. Like the Nike slogan, just do it. Just do it. Right? I understand there's parts of the Torah you can't keep. We'll talk about that next week. There's parts we can't keep because the temple's been destroyed. You'll have to pardon me. There's a boat passing by. Yes, I live on a harbor. Uh, and I, if I open my window, I can actually see the ship, but... Uh, I've got the window closed, but I guess there's a traffic jam out there, and that's why that boat's honking its horn, so I apologize. But um, we're going to learn that uh, in, later on in my commentary, that uh, as we go through and study it, that I have really a practical approach. There's parts of Torah we can't keep, keep because there are parts that have been um, temporarily removed from our communities. There's no temple, there are no priests, there are no animal sacrifices. There's a good chunk of Torah that we can't do. But that doesn't mean that we shouldn't be trying to press in and do the parts that we can do. Amen? And that's, I think, what is the heart of the Father for us. That That's what pleases God. If you tell a parent, I can't clean my room because I lost the broom, the dustpan and the broom, and I don't know where the vacuum is, therefore I'm not even going to try to clean my room, that's not going to fly with your parents, right? What your parents are going to do is say, you know what? Go ahead and clean as best you can without the vacuum cleaner. And then once we find the vacuum cleaner, or once we go buy a new one, or repair the one that's broken, whatever, then we'll do the parts that you couldn't do at first. God is pleased when we press into his words and do what we can do with what we've got. So even though there's no temple, even though there's no sacrifices, even though there's no priests, we can still a good still do a good part of the Torah. Part of the Torah. We can keep the Sabbath. We can set aside that one day of the week that God asks us to do. We can... Um, um, change our work schedule so that we're not working on the day. We can um, keep our calendars lined up with God's calendar so that we're walking into the festivals. We can purchase a mezuzah to put on our door. We can purchase tzitzit to put on our clothing. Right? These are practical things that are very easy to do. And I just picked on those because those are usually the most visibly, easily, 
visible, easily recognized um, kind of earmarks of keeping Torah. When you see a person walking around with tzitzit on their on their clothing, it, it usually indicates that they're a Messianic Jew or a Messianic Gentile or a Torah observant Jew or something to that effect, right? So, in closing, let me just continue to um, admonish us, um, practically speaking, that your Torah observance, even though um, God Himself gives you the Torah so that you can find Messiah. We're going to learn later on that once you encounter the Messiah, it's really then that your genuine Torah observance begins. Because before then, it's only so much strength by the flesh. But once you know Yeshua, once He writes His words on your heart, once He fills you with your spirit, once you have faith in Jesus you can then fulfill the righteous requirement of Torah. It's really then that your Torah observance, your Shomer Mitzvot, is actually being done by the power of the Spirit within you. It's being done by God's power. And therefore, it really matters for eternity. Amen? It won't just be uh, works that are done by your own power, by the power of the flesh, that ultimately will be wood, hand, stubble that gets burnt up. It won't just be good works that don't have an eternal and lasting value. Rather, once you come and and uh, come to knowledge of Yeshua, Jesus, then your Torah observance, the things that you do for God, will actually have lasting value in God's program. And that's really the righteousness that we ultimately want to walk in line with. That's ultimately the, the halakha that we want to adopt, is the everlasting righteousness that the, that the Messiah empowers us to walk into. Amen? Amen. Let's close in prayer. And we'll pick this discussion up next week. We'll be at the um, kind of the middle of page 65. And we'll start with the paragraph that starts talking about, um, uh, that introduces uh, Galatians and Paul's writings. And specifically, we're going to look at a, a quote from Tim Haig and talk about uh, this concept of um, Torah observance, Shomer Mitzvot. Okay, let's close in prayer. Avinu Malkinu, our Father, our King, Lord, I bless you tonight. I thank you for uplifting your Son, Yeshua. Holy Spirit, I thank you for reminding us of the words of the Master. I bless you for bringing to recollection His deeds, His words, His ways, His actions, His halacha, His Torah observance. We know, Lord, as believers, that if we will walk in your footsteps, if we will avail ourselves of your words, if we will hide your words in our heart, we won't sin against you. If we will press in by the power of the Spirit, then we will be pleasing to you. We will do what you ask us to do because you have empowered us to do it. It is, what does the scripture say? It is, is God in us both to do and to will his good, both to will and to do his good pleasure. It's God working in us to do that which he asks us to do. We know then, like Paul would say in Romans, that all things work together for good for those who love God, for those who are called according to His purpose. We know that You have promised not to leave us nor forsake us, never forsake us. And for that reason, Yeshua, we praise You. We thank You. We lift Your name on high. We love to sing Your praises. Lord, we lift Your name on high. Bless You, Lord, for this opportunity to press in and to be pleasing to You, to be a help to those around us, to be salt and light, to be... Um, um, to be the uh, the example of what it means to walk in your ways. We know, we know, we know. We affirm with a perfect conviction that you will help us do it. It won't be done by our own power. Rather, that it is the, it is the power of the Spirit in us causing us to be pleasing to you. Thank you that you have received us based on the Son, 
based on his sacrifice, based on the, the power of the risen life of Yeshua, that you have received us based on this relationship because you have caused us to come into a relationship with you. And therefore, when you look at us, you see us through rose-colored glasses. Thank you, Lord, for your son. Thank you for Yeshua. Bless us this week as we go into another Sabbath. Help us to appreciate the words of the Master that are rooted in the words of of, uh, Moshe. Help us to understand that the prophecies that we read about in the Tanakh, that we read about in the uh, the, the, uh, writings in the prophets, uh, in Ezekiel and Jeremiah that we've been referencing, help us to understand that, that these words are still relevant because Corporate Israel still needs to find her Messiah. They still need to find Jesus. They don't know him yet. And so we cannot do away with the prophecies. Even if, even if just for, for argument's sake, even if the law was done away with, you know that the prophets can't be done away with because there's too many promises that have not come to pass. And if we toss them out, then Israel becomes empty. Israel gets robbed of those promises. She's bankrupted. She's robbed of that which is hers by covenant right. You promised Israel thousands of years ago that you would cleanse her in Ezekiel, that you would wash her clean, that you would set her on sure footing, that you would fill her with your spirit, and that you would cause her to walk in your ways. And she's still waiting for that. And so we look forward to the day, someday in the future, may it be soon, when Messiah returns and opens the eyes of blind Israel, national Israel, and she cries out, Baruch Baba Shem Adonai, blessed is he who comes. In the name of the Lord, namely Yeshua. And we'll be careful, Lord, to give you the praise as Jews and Gentiles in Christ. We'll be careful to uplift your name. Amen. That concludes our show for today. It is my desire that this continuing series of teachings will assist the average non-Jewish believer or new Messianic Jewish believer in his desire to become a more mature child of God. And now, O Israel, what does the Lord your God ask of you but to fear the Lord your God, to walk in all his ways, to love him, to serve the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul, and to observe the Lord's commands and decrees that I am giving you today for your own good. To the Lord your God belong the heavens, even the highest heavens, the earth, and everything in it. Yet the Lord set his affection on your forefathers and loved them. And he chose you, their descendants, above all the nations, as it is today. Circumcise your hearts, therefore, and do not be stiff-necked any longer. Because the Torah is written on the hearts of all who truly name the name of Yeshua as Lord and Savior, it is meant to be followed to the best of our ability. We have no reason for fear of condemnation or the trappings of legalism. My name is Ariel Ben Lyman Hanavi. The intro and outro song were written, produced, and performed by Ryan Kingsley. For more information on contacting Ryan, you can reach me by email at Yeshua613 at hotmail.com. That's Y E S H U A number 613 at hotmail.com. Or visit our website at graftedin.com. That's graftedin.com. 